living with type one and having a daughter with type one is like a whole, I don't wanna say beautiful because then it makes it, it almost negates like the pain or the difficulty. It has created a really special bond between the two of us because she knows anything she has to do, I also have to do. I hate with every fiber of my being that she has to live with this, but if she has to live with it, I love that I also have to. Welcome to Level With Me. I'm your host, Eric Passley. This is the final episode of my new podcast about type one diabetes where we talk about what living with type one reveals about ourselves and the people we're closest to, how it challenges and strengthens our most important relationships. My friends at Dexcom helped make this podcast possible, which I'm so grateful for. I personally have type one diabetes and after meeting other type ones backstage before shows, I've come to believe that the more we talk about things in our lives, the more we all get to the truth. So that's what we're gonna do here. If Kiri goes out of town for just a few days, it's a very strong reminder of like how hard and how much she has to do every single day. Every episode of this podcast is going to be made up of two parts. In the first part, we're going to take y'all to our guest's hometown. We'll get a chance to meet their families and some of the other people who are supporting them in their journey with type one diabetes. I'll do it off your bed now. Up here. Oh. <laughs> this thing is so and then they're going to fly here to Nashville, Tennessee to hang out with me in Blackbird Studios, one of my favorite places to record music so we can spend more time one-on-one -on -one talking through some of the stories we heard, digging deeper into what makes each of our T1D experiences unique and also universal. We're in Nashville, Tennessee in one of the swankiest, I use swanky because... I think Do you say swanky or swanky? Swanky. I say swanky. Swanky. See, it's it's the we redneck version. <laughs> swanky. Today we're gonna get to hang out with my fellow type one diabetic, Kiri and Zola, in sunny San Diego, California. <laughs> Come on in. How's it going? Holly, good, can you say good you? morning? Hi. Can you say welcome, good morning? Welcome, welcome. My name is Kiri. And I'm Justin. Where are we today? We are in our house in San Diego, California. Ollie, how many people in our family? Four. Can you name them? Daddy, Zola, Mommy, me. That's right. <laughs> hey, I have an idea. Do you guys want to go pick up a tea and go to the beach? Who can get ready the fastest? I'm already ready. Do you want to wear bathing suits? Bathing suits! Hurry, let's go. Daddy, daddy. Let's get your bathing suit. Should we pack snacks? We're just doing snacks because we're gonna have lunch later, okay? So we don't need. A, do you wait? Where's the bell pepper that you already cut up? Did you finish it? Oh, okay. Do you want to cut up one of those and we'll put? Oh, we can still do that. Do you want um, dip? Do you want the artichoke creamy dip? Look at you with that knife, you're a pro. She's amazing. Yeah. She like literally grew up cutting food. Yeah. And so I'm Mama. like, I'm not gonna take that away from her. Like she knows exactly what she's yeah. doing. Welcome, mommy. 
are at the beach in San Diego. This is kind of our go-to on the weekends or actually we spend the whole summer at the beach really. Yeah. Um, just because we're so close but this is like the kids absolute favorite thing to do. It's like the one place where they are like get along the best. <laughs> they fight like typical siblings at home but you come here and they're like best friends. So um, yeah this is like what we love doing. The kids play in the sand, they play in the water, we bring food. This is our family thing. Diabetes can feel really exhausting. It's obviously not an easy job and then to do it for two people is even more so. And so I think for us finding things that fill our soul, that feel restful, has been so vital just for mental health and just kind of feeling like we can rest for a second. And so for us, a lot of that happens at the beach. It's a seashell. I want to oh. make a collection. Oh, that is a cool one. Okay, we'll save this one. Beautiful shell right there. Yeah. <laughs> Something that we work really hard with the kids is to establish security for them. Um, you know, they spent so much of their life not having that. And so um, just building really healthy attachment with them and making them feel safe. And so there's something so beautiful about the outdoors and you know nobody's here like asking to watch a movie we're all yeah. everything we do is together we're in the water together we're digging together and so I think just they experience like such deep love here and I I truly love that so I would say like some of our best memories as a family are outdoors but really at the beach Hey, Ollie, ride it, ride on it. <laughs> what do you, what do you look, look at me? Hey, what is it like to have diabetes and me also have diabetes? Like, what is it like that we have it together? I don't know. Okay, you have diabetes, and I also have diabetes, so everything you do, I do, right? Remember we do everything together? Yeah. Okay, what is that like doing it together? Uh, like, how, how does it make you feel that I also have to do it with you? Cool. <laughs> cool? What's cool about it? Uh, I don't know. Hey, Ollie, what did you tell me that one time? When I said, how do you feel about Zola having diabetes? I want to have diabetes. Why do you want to have diabetes? Because I want to see Skittles. Because you want to eat Skittles. <laughs> Remember you said, I want to have Zola, I want to have diabetes. I don't want Zola to have diabetes because I want to eat her Skittles. <laughs> In a way, I think it's a really beautiful gift that I can understand what she's going through. I can advocate for her better than anybody else ever will because I know what high blood sugar feels like. I know what low blood sugar feels like. It has created something really special between the two of us, which has been really healing for her too, just with her story. I found so much strength in having to model for Zola what I wanted her to believe in herself. Remember I had like the horrific fear of needles. <laughs> so that like took time to like get past, I mean, you kind of just have to get over it. 
knowing that Zola watched my every single move. She watched my facial expressions. She watched my words. I wanted to be so mindful of how she saw diabetes in me. And I wanted to show her like, you can be brave, you can be resilient, you can be strong, even with this disease. We don't have an option. Being brave is our only choice and we're gonna do it. So what has been something that has been really painful has turned into like a huge purpose for us. When I look back on like the last few years, it makes me, I think times when I'm reminded of like how much, like how much we've done it, or how much Kiri does really, it's because a lot of it I feel like comes and it falls on Kiri. When not, if Kiri goes out of town for just a few days, it's a very strong reminder of like how hard and how much she has to do every single day. Because I don't know what it's like on a day in and day out basis to have to run an organ, let alone two. Like, you know. She's taking care of Zola and 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 herself, and um, you know I do my part around the house and do different things, but I don't I don't keep the two of them alive. You know, there's two ends of the spectrum. There's this disease sucks, like it's taken everything away from me, and some people like spend a lot of time in that place, and then there's the people who are like, this is amazing, like look at all the diabetes is like done for me. But I think there's a balance, like you can't live in one of those places for too long. The disease is hard, but the community is like so strong. I think sharing our story is one thing that really helps us because then it, you know, reminds us of, you know, what did happen and, um, and that's helped. But I think for us to pause and kind of put ourselves into our kids' shoes and remind us like it's not about how hard it is for us, but like how much harder is it for them? Like how much have they lost um, in our grieving? You know, this is it's not intended for them to be adopted. That's not, you know, the perfect plan. The perfect plan would be that every kid gets to like stay in their family. Um, but they've experienced a lot of grief and loss and just being mindful of like their feelings and their story, um, I think has really given us a lot of strength in being able to like parent with patience and grace. Some days much easier than others. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta make a ball. <laughs> Whoa! I feel like we need a again, again, again. We're here in Nashville, We're Tennessee, here. hanging out. And y'all came all the way from California, we right? We did. We're in San Diego. I love San Diego. It's a good city. Is it sunny there? It's always sunny in San Diego, right? Is the weather pretty good at home? And cold. And cold? Maybe and compared cold. Compared to Uganda. Compared to Uganda. <laughs> Zola, you're, you're, you're from Uganda, right? I've never, ever been to Uganda. What is it like? You remember? It sounds like it's a lot hotter than San Diego. Is it hotter there? Is it? Yeah. So, Zola, I don't know if you know this, but we have something in common. What? I have I have type 1 diabetes just like you. Did yeah, you know that? Yeah, she told me. Did she? That's crazy, right? Everybody at this table has type 1 diabetes. We all have type 1 diabetes. 
pretty wild. Kiri, you were diagnosed, how old were you? You were diagnosed when you were? 26. Lucky, dang it. <laughs> Lucky. Type one diabetes, you're supposed to get it, it when you're time. a kid. Yeah. Zola, how, how old were you? I was 10 years six. old. You were six years old? I was 10 years old when I was diagnosed with type one diabetes. And that is pretty wild. So six years old, 26 years old. When you were 26, so tell your story. How were you diagnosed? I heard you were in a, I, I, I <laughs> a do you want the two coma. minute? <laughs> no, I always say, do you want the two minute version, the I twenty want minute the version, real life or the version. two hour? I want the real Where life version. Where should I start? <laughs> the very beginning. So my husband and I were in Uganda adopting our son Oliver. Uganda? Why Uganda? Why were y'all brought to Uganda? Um. Do you like throw a dart, or no. you went, or you went? I love these kids here. I'm gonna go over here. No, my husband spent a lot of time. His aunt and uncle were missionaries in Kenya for 18 years, so mm-hmm. he spent time with them there. We have adopted nieces and nephews from Ethiopia. Awesome. And um, when talking about starting a family, adoption for us has always been kind of like how we wanted to start our family. And so when talking about where, we just felt like we would love for our kids to also have cousins that kind of share the same heritage. Cool. And I mean, then there's also a lot of rules on like how old you have to be and how many years you've been married. And so certain countries like you can't apply for if you don't fit the requirements. And so so Uganda was home. Long story short, Uganda's, yeah, where we ended up. And we thought we would be in the country for about three months in order to complete the process, um, in order to get his visa to come home. And during that time, I had got really sick and was just weak and tired and you know kind of all those just typical symptoms of not feeling well and at first I kind of chalked it up to being like a new mom you know we have a little Mm -hmm. baby who's like not sleeping through the night and just kind of thought I was like new mom tired yeah and then you know it turned into like I was losing weight and didn't have enough energy to get off the couch like felt extremely fatigued and then I was told that I had parasites which is very common when you go to Uganda Mm -hmm. and so I just kept getting worse to the point where I was like, I don't know that I could stay in the country, like feeling the way that I felt like it, I, there just aren't words to describe like how sick I felt. I didn't have enough energy to like put words out of my mouth. Mm-hmm. And so I just laid all the time. I couldn't pick up Oliver anymore. And he was only like 10 pounds. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I would start to, so in the middle of the night, if he cried, I would get out of bed and I would like fall to the ground trying to get to his crib because I was just so weak. So I knew that what I was doing in Uganda was like not working to treat these parasites. And so I flew home. My husband stayed in Uganda and I kept treating parasites. I was like, if I just see like an American doctor (laughs) and get American medicine, like I'll be back on my feet and back to Uganda in probably like two weeks. And I just kept getting worse and the symptoms got worse. I was drinking like two gallons of water a day, which is a very common uh, symptom of parasites. (laughs) So I kept treating parasites. And the thing they say about parasites is when they start to die off inside your body is when you feel like the absolute worst. And then you kind of make a turn and you Mm -hmm. start feeling better. And I kept saying to myself, like, we've got to be nearing the end. Like this Mm -hmm. is so miserable and I said to my mom like I feel like I'm dying you know Mm -hmm. we kind of like throw that term around when we don't feel good but I I said Mm -hmm. like I feel like I'm dying and so um 
I started to struggle to breathe. And mm. then we were like, oh, maybe it's just because I'm anxious. My husband and son are 9,000 miles away and I'm sick. And, you know, you kind of find like a reason for everything. Yeah. And so once I had a hard time breathing, we were like, it's time to go like to the emergency room. So my mom drove me to the ER. Um, I had lost my vision at this point, so I couldn't see anything. Everything was just like white, kind of like entering the tunnel, you know. Wow. Um, so I couldn't see anything. I could. St I was kind of like in and out. I could like hear, and I remember being wheeled into the like reception area of the emergency room, but I couldn't see anything. And I could hear the lady at the desk talking to me to check me in, and they ask those basic questions like like the questions if you've had a concussion you know to make sure you're like coherent and she asked me my name and I gave her my maiden name so I was like not with it anymore and she asked me you know do you know what day of the week it is what city were you born in can you tell me who the president is and I just said to her like these questions are too hard <laughs> like I'm just mm -hmm. really tired like I just want to take a nap and yeah. I went into a coma right there in the emergency room so <laughs> that's how long were you in the coma for 24 hours which was a miracle that it yeah. was that short because the doctors one didn't know that i would even wake up mm -hmm. um and then to wake up that soon they were just like baffled what were your levels at? my blood was 548 which doesn't seem high compared to other things i've heard my no. a1c was 14.1 that means, wow. So I was like full-blown DKA, and the doctor had said, like, had my mom waited an hour to bring me in, like, I would not have made it because every organ was shutting down. Yeah. That's a miracle. So I woke up in the ICU, and I had two thoughts. First was, like, these parasites must have gone to my brain to, like, mm. land me a stay in the ICU. And two is, like, I have... A horrific fear of needles mm. and so I was really glad that I was not awake not when awake like four when... IVs were put in my arms what was it like waking up like you really thought what was the initial thought of when you opened your eyes and looked around I was like where am I or were you like where's my husband and my son where all of that all of the above I was am I in Uganda am I in it took Oz? me a second and <laughs> I, I knew that I was like in San Diego and I could like kind of make out that it said ICU on the wall but there was nobody in my room at that point when I woke up and it was still a while until I was kind of more coherent and able to mm -hmm. like have conversation and I remember like my best friend came to see me and she was sitting by the bedside and I looked at her and she didn't say anything and I couldn't even talk I just kind of opened my eyes and saw her and like I, I, I knew sh I knew I knew her, but I didn't know her name. Mm. And I, I was like, I feel like I know who you are, and I should be able. How long to, did it take for your memory to come back? Like, did you did you already f feel a lot better when you woke up? Yes and no. Oh. It's a hard question to answer. When I woke up, in a way, I was like, I feel the best that I have felt in a long time, mm -hmm. because I was getting insulin, which my body had not been producing. Mm -hmm. But also at the same time, I was like in excruciating pain. Mm -hmm. um, I don't even know from what. <laughs> Probably all your organs shutting, shutting rebooting. I guess that. It's just kind of wild. But I, I, I love, 
I got to read your story a little bit. It's amazing, Zola, just how y'all have been. I just reading your story. I'm like getting to your thing. Like yeah. y'all are literally brought together through something that nobody wants. Mm-hmm. It's kind of amazing. It Will is. you tell kind of that story? Yeah. So after I was diagnosed, which came as a huge shock because I was the person that didn't know the difference between type one and type two. And so it's confusing. It is. And I didn't know anybody in my first 26 years of life with type one. So I just had never really been exposed to it. So they had said, Oh, you have type one diabetes. And I was like, no, remember I have parasites. Like, Mm. (laughs) you know, when you go to Uganda, it's not so much as like, if you get parasites, but when you get parasites, Mm. or like who goes to Uganda and gets type one diabetes. Yeah. (laughs) So that's not what they serve here. Come is, on, man. No. <laughs> so it was very shocking. And so I kind of had to figure out, like, how do I find a community? How do, who has this? You know, I just mm-hmm. felt kind of alone. But so I, I think we all, I remember feeling alone. Yeah. So I was kind of just getting back on my feet. I mean, because of the state that I was diagnosed in, it took me some time just to kind of like, regain strength and energy and Mm -hmm. be able to walk and have my vision come back and drive a car. And so my husband came home when I was diagnosed because that was a whole thing in of of itself, you know, hearing that his wife is like unconscious, like in the ICU. So he flew back to Uganda to be with Oliver. And then it was two months after my diagnosis that we got a call from a friend in Uganda who runs an organization and she said that they had just came across a girl who had been diagnosed with type one and she needed a foster family. Wow. And I mean, I get like chills thinking about it now, but when I read that, it was like my heart just like stopped for a second and everything for the last few months that to me felt so confusing and like, why is this happening? It was like the whole puzzle came together and all just really made sense. And I knew like with every fiber in my being that she was my daughter. Wow. I mean, it's such a, like a long story and a long journey, but that is, I mean, our pancreases are what like brought us together, which is pretty wild. So that is how she initially joined our family. I have friends, and you always hear the stories of like adoption, how it takes so long, but it sounds like it was just meant to be. How, how it's mind blowing. It is it because is. it's like I was saying. It's like you don't want to be sick. You don't want. I mean, I don't want Zola to be sick. Yeah. I don't want you to be sick. But it is amazing how how God can bring that together, or, or whoever you believe in, yeah. and bring like the, the the forces of the universe. Mm. If life was always perfect, it wouldn't be worth telling. You know? No, and I don't think and, we would really fully know joy if we like never experienced the yeah. hard or the pain. Looking back, had we completed Ollie's adoption in the kind of three months that we thought we would be there, we would have been home. I never would have been diagnosed yet. Mm-hmm. We never would have heard about Zola. But because his process took way longer than what we had expected, mm-hmm. I was diagnosed and then Zola came along. And so when you kind of look at it like a puzzle... It's so cool how it all came together. A lot of people say, oh, like what a cool coincidence. But I'm like, no, it's Jesus. So, yeah, yeah, so I went back. I brought like three months worth of diabetes supplies because I thought maybe we'll be home in like three months. Wow. (laughs) 
We ended up there another nine months, completed Ollie's adoption, and then fostering Zola led to adoption. So then we completed mm-hmm. a whole second adoption. And so we ended up in Uganda for 15 months total before we finally came home as wow. a family of four and yeah. two functioning pancreases short. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Zola did not speak a single word of English when she joined our family. So you can imagine how difficult that would be to communicate just in general, but then also communicating with a child who doesn't speak your language is from a different culture and now has this disease that she's never seen or understands. Mm -hmm. So that would have been hard. Wow. Yeah. So I could like say hello to her and she would not like they didn't even you know how sometimes you know the word hello in other languages mm-hmm. just to like kind of get by she didn't know the word hello like nothing at all so what i did is in uganda like the main form of transportation is like by boda so it's like a motorcycle mm-hmm. and you just wave one down and hop on and so i took a boda to town and so she spoke lusoga which was not the most common language and so i found like the only Lusoga English dictionary I could find and I went back to our little tiny bungalow that we lived in and I took a sheet of paper and I cut up basically little note cards and I wrote down all of the words that I would need to like communicate basic things to her so like people places things phrases foods transportation and I wrote like the English word on top and then the Lusoga word underneath and so anytime I need and then I taped them on the wall So anytime I needed to communicate to her, I would run over to the wall and try and find like the words or the phrase, like, are you hungry? Mm -hmm. We're going, you know, and that was like how I had to communicate. And then we did a lot of hand signals. Um, So the other thing I did was I drew, I took a bunch of pieces of paper and I taped them together and I essentially drew like a Dexcom graph, like a large version. And I put like the lines and on the bottom, I colored it red. And then at the top, I colored it yellow and I kind of had marked like, this is our goal. This is where we want to be. And so um, she would test her blood and we would go over to the chart and I would show her like where she's at on the chart. And she'd be like, you know, use her hands like, where where am I at? And if she was low, we would kind of use our hands and like point like down towards the ground like we'd like lean down and say like oh you're low you're gonna need and then we'd like put our fingers to our lips and say you need to eat a sweetie which is the lusoga word for candy Mm. and then if you're high you're gonna need to get a poke and we'd like point to her arm and then the middle we did like the no poke right yeah Yeah. i picture (laughs) me running around no poke no poke poke. sweetie (laughs) yeah Um, And so then like the Dexcom has arrows of the direction of your blood. So we would use our arms and she'd be like, okay, like, where's it going? Well, you know, obviously not in English, but yeah. (laughs) And so, you know, like one arrow pointing or like one hand pointing to the ceiling meant like, oh, you're going up pretty quick. And then like two hands was like, you're going real fast. The sound of that is, uh. Yeah. And then, you know. All the Dexcomers are like, uh, uh, Yes, uh, I know. Means get a sweetie. We know those alarms. And so. You know, if your hand is like close to the ground, it was like, oh, you're really low. Or if we like raise our hand really high, like you're really high. But I mean, it was obviously a challenge to try and communicate. But I think the best way I can explain it is like Dexcom bridged the language barrier gap mm. for us. And so it helped her to understand what diabetes was before she could understand English. Wow. Which was. And I, it helped I, you to bond. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can't even explain like. 
like gratitude for like technology. You know, it was, you know, diabetes was hard. And then diabetes, like with this language barrier felt like impossible. And to try and do it in like the most graceful way with her so that she still felt empowered and, you know, mm-hmm. not consumed with fear. Having technology like was an absolute game changer. So it just helped her to really understand like what this was. And she saw me put on a sensor and then she would put on a sensor. Mm. And so, yeah. It really is amazing. I was looking at pictures on your Instagram, just like my mouth watering. And by the way, great photography. I'm like, wow, it's like a magazine. Um, what What is Zola's favorite dish? Does she have one? Probably about 10 from what I was looking at. It was really good. Zola loves all food. There is like almost nothing that she doesn't like. Her favorite snack is popcorn. So we do popcorn like every night before bed, which is basic. But it's good. um, She loves baking. So we make low carb cookies and desserts and cakes. Oh, for her birthday a year ago, we made a low carb mud pie and she just was like beside herself. She thought it was the best thing ever. And. Hey. What's your favorite food? Uh, popcorn. Popcorn. <laughs> there it is. It. Mom knew it. I know. Yeah. I love it. So we do a lot of cooking together, and she's wildly talented in the kitchen. Her knife skills and She are... likes gardening as well. Do y'all grow a lot of herbs and vegetables that she, you cook with? She grows the herbs and the food. I got you. <laughs> she has the green thumb, and she, she tells everybody I have the black thumb. I have the black thumb, and so... She you kill things. What I, the heck? I do. So she will like make herself a salad. She prefers to like put her own food together. That's cool. It's she's so good. And so she made herself this salad one day, and I had no idea what she was doing. And um, a couple weeks go by, and then we went out of town for a good period of time, and we came home, and then by like the front door, there were these like bushes growing out of the ground, and I was like where did these weeds come from? And she said, oh, I planted tomato seeds. And I was like, where did you get tomato seeds? And she's like, I scraped them out of my tomatoes from my salad. Wow. (laughs) And put them in the ground. And they're growing. And they grew, they ended up like as tall as me eventually. That is awesome. How does Zola deal, how is she dealing with, uh, this with diabetes and being a kid? Like I wasn't, I wasn't her age when I was diagnosed. She's right at my age when I was diagnosed. Is she, does she kind of resent it? She is like the most resilient child I've ever met. And her first six years before joining our family were not easy and come with a lot of hard history. So in a way, I think diabetes almost felt like not nearly as hard as compared to like some of the things that she's been through. Mm. And so kids kids are just resilient. Like there's something really beautiful about that. I think as an adult, you can talk through it and overthink it. And you're like, I remember the first 26 years without diabetes, Mm. but you know, she's not going to remember much about life before type one, which I think her case and my case, they both suck. Like it's not like one is better than the other, but she, everything she has known with diabetes has always been with me. Mm. Um, and is crappy as it can be to have type one I think it's really beautiful that we get to do it together so she learned to test her blood sugar alongside me and um she you know, literally I've, has she's living with a teacher 
She is. Yeah. And I feel like I want to be strong for her, but at the same time, like she's the one that gives me strength. Like, <laughs> And I'm so glad you and Zola came here to Nashville yeah. and, and that we're getting to share your story. It's, it's a incredible story. It is like, really beautiful. It's a beautiful story. And, and wow, you've gone through a lot. <laughs> yeah. It's been a journey. And looking back, I think one of the biggest lessons that I've learned is that like our circumstances don't have to determine the joy that we feel mm -hmm. and that those two things like pain and joy, suffering and joy, those can all coexist together. But really the reason I know like such rich joy is because of the hard stuff that I've been through. And in the moment, that's really hard to mm -hmm. walk through. And those 15 months were really hard. Um, but looking back, like I wouldn't trade any of it. I wouldn't change any of it because what I've learned and my perspective has changed and I just feel like my life is so much richer because of diabetes. And I think in in the moment and when I, you know, got that diagnosis in the hospital, I don't know that I could have said it right then, but um I wouldn't give it up for anything. Like it's added so much to my life like some of my best friends have come through you know meeting people with type one um just the way that we view life like having a daughter it's been like I called a bond over like, like being cured together too but yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> we can but help i know it. i would I love know a cure but if i put all my hope in a cure then like where's my hope for today and i love it and so I think we try really hard to like just cultivate a heart of gratitude and like what can we be thankful for today because I'm a better mom, I'm a better wife, a better friend when my heart is full of thanks rather than focusing on what I don't have. So yeah. I have a lot more in my life to be thankful for than not working beta cells. So I love it. I'm so happy that you and Zola and your, your family have been brought together in the way it has and that through this some people would say this unlovable thing that the universe gave you mm -hmm. is actually one of the biggest uh, has probably brought the, together the biggest love that you could ever imagine yeah i know that with my daughter here now i, I, I my heart just keeps getting bigger and bigger every day yeah. and uh and i'm grateful to just experience that and grateful for you sharing your, your experience and i know that i know that people are moved because i am well thank you Thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you for having us. Hey everyone, thanks again for joining me for this season of Level With Me. It's been a blast to make this and have you all here with me listening along. Big thanks to Dexcom for sponsoring this podcast and giving Type 1 Warriors another way to share their experiences. If you like what you're hearing, please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.